I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome to the Bucket Limp Podcast. Coming up on the latest episode of the Pocket Link Podcast, the team will discuss the devices launched during Samsung Galaxy Unpacked, including the S23 family of phones and Galaxy Book 3 laptops. We'll talk about SkyGlass and SkyStream now they've been updated once more, and we'll look forward to the forthcoming OnePlus 11 launch event, just what has the Chinese firm got up its sleeve. Plus, as with the last episode, we'll reveal the Pocket Link team's product or products of the week, the devices, gadgets, TV show or games that have piqued our interest the most. Hiya, I'm Rick Henderson and joining me for this latest PocketLint podcast are Editorial Director of PocketLint.com, Chris Hall and Luke Baker, our Contributing Editor. Have you had a good week, chaps? It's been a busy one. This is where you. This is where you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's been too busy, too busy to talk. <laughs> You're feeling numb. Um, yeah. Well, there's there's a very good reason for that, and uh, we'll find out in a minute because we're going to get on with the news. First on the news agenda today is Samsung Galaxy Unpacked, which took place on the first of February and was mercifully short. That doesn't mean it wasn't packed to the rafters with products, though, with the three phones in the S23 family launched and a swathe of new laptops. Chris, using pretty much all the products Samsung is introducing, which of them stands out the most? Well, it's just like a wall of Samsung devices that have been thrown (laughs) towards us, Um, and nothing is particularly surprising. I think the the, the biggest thing that they, they did was launched the Galaxy Book 3 Ultra. Got to get the names right because you might switch between phones and laptops just with the change of a word. But the Ultra is a new sort of flagship tier notebook they're launching. And the big thing about this is it's now got discrete graphics inside. So they've turned to NVIDIA to bring a little bit of um, graphical oomph to it rather than using the integrated graphics from Intel. And that means that Samsung's really going after a piece of market that it hasn't been so interested in the past. Um, The strange thing about it, though, was that we weren't actually allowed to touch it at all. I could take photos of it. I could look at it. I could look at it really closely, but I couldn't actually physically touch the thing. Um, And I believe that all proper first impressions and things like that are under embargo and won't be appearing for another few weeks. Um, And I believe that is because of the hardware that it's got inside. I mean, it's very thin. That's what I got from the actual event. It looks yeah. thin. Yeah. In comparison to, say, a MacBook Pro. <clears throat> yeah, well, it, it is thin, and it, it kind of is going after the same kind of market, and it's it's sort of priced like that at £2,500 or $2,500. 
Um, so it's all about power. It should sort of open the door towards more graphical stuff like perhaps gaming and video editing and stuff like that, make it speeding all of those things up and improving the performance there. The strange thing, though, is that when you take that away, it's kind of similar to their other notebooks that they've launched. It has a 16-inch display, which they're calling a 3K display, which is AMOLED, uh, non-touch. And that's the same display as you get on the 16-inch Galaxy Book 3 Pro. So not a massive difference in all areas. It's very much just about the extra hardware that you get inside. Um, As you say, it's skinny. And I guess the thing that people will be looking at is whether it's going to have the battery life, whether it's going to last very long, and whether it's going to be able to keep itself cool, given that it's slightly more compact. So definitely lots to look at there. Do you think that's why you weren't allowed to touch it? Because it was hot? (laughs) <laughs> um <laughs> it could be it, it it was it was just running a demo loop um i suspect that some of the uh initial benchmarks that came from the launch of some of this hardware weren't particularly favorable probably because it was pre-release hardware or something so i suspect that there's still some optimization going on to get get everything in line i mean yeah. uh, what really stood out for me is that they you can get an option with the latest RTX 40 series graphics inside. Um, and when I, I actually interviewed uh, Nick Porter, who is the vice president of Samsung's product uh, line, he basically said that they see it as a gaming machine as much as they see it as a productivity machine. And that's quite an interesting side angle because Samsung hasn't traditionally, I mean, it, it pulled out of the UK market in terms of laptops for quite some time, but it hasn't traditionally entered the gaming market at all in that field. So this is quite an interesting new step, isn't it, Luke? Yeah, I mean, they've got monitors. I guess that's as close as Samsung get to gaming, really, um, with their crazy ultra-wide, ultra-fast PC monitors. But... Um, yeah, it's definitely different for notebook. I don't, I don't know if they've ever done a gaming notebook in the past. And no, obviously, no, they... this isn't. It's not got RGB lights and all of the gaming flair you might expect. But with hardware like that in it, of course, you can game on it. So, yeah, be um, interesting to see how it performs. It was also a, a big focus for the Samsung Galaxy S twenty three Ultra, wasn't it, Chris? Which you've also seen, and you're sort of like um. I think ambivalent is the wrong word, isn't it? About ambivalent the... is is definitely the wrong word, <laughs> <laughs> especially if I want to keep my job. Um, <laughs> the yeah, I, I mean, the phones obviously got most of the attention, and you know, it's more more predictable. Everybody gets more excited about phones than they do about notebooks, anyway. Um, which is why I picked the notebook first because it would have been too easy just to go for the two hundred megapixel main camera on the Galaxy S twenty three Ultra and sell that as the most exciting thing that's happened. But as with all of these preview events that we go to, you get to see the hardware, which looks virtually identical to last year, really have no idea how that new camera is going to perform and if it's going to deliver on all of the things that they promise. And they promise a lot. Um, but And some of, the, some of the things about high-resolution sensors have just never really clicked with me because we spent a long time in digital cameras trying to avoid the megapixel race of just increasing the resolution over and over again, saying, oh yeah, higher numbers are better. And on smartphones, they kind of went through that and then dropped back down saying, no, no, it's no longer about resolution. It's about the size of the pixels instead, so or the size of the sensor. 
And now we just seem to be running off into doing everything, saying, yeah, it's a bigger sensor. It's got bigger pixels. It's got a higher resolution. When, in fact, the, the pixel size now is probably absolutely minute. And they, we get the same message here that we have done from a lot of phones over the past few years where they say, oh, no, no, but it's not about an individual pixel because we're using pixel binning. So yeah. you're actually going to be using 16 pixels and all of this kind of stuff. Um the greatest gains that I've seen in smartphone t- smartphone photography over the last few years have come from processing, is the computational side of things. You know, Apple is doing it well, and they they were using a twelve megapixel sensor for it, and so was the Pixel, and they were producing great images. And everyone else was was using a you know hundred and eight megapixel sensor and still having muddy low light photos. So I'm still a little bit dubious about saying two hundred megapixels is great because it's two hundred megapixels. Uh, it really will depend on what it can deliver. But we also have to bear in mind that that's not all that the camera does because they have you know, a three times telephoto and a 10 times telephoto to give you zoom options. And I was really impressed over the past couple of years how Samsung managed to get that sort of far end zoom from its phones and managed to get images that are fairly usable. Um, people like Google are fighting back using a lot of processing to tidy up and using a lot of clever technologies to try and make the those blurry far zoom images more usable whether samsung is going to use the same amount of processing whether it's just going to rely on hardware or what we don't know and that's the great thing hopefully within the next couple of weeks we'll have the phones in to review them but apart from that and the slightly boosted um, snapdragon 8 gen 2 hardware that's inside these phones are pretty much the same as they were last year. So do you think from this initial viewpoint uh, that it was a good event? It wasn't the most exciting event. That's the thing. If you, I mean, everything had leaked beforehand, which is a problem. They're good products. They look nice. If you have one of last year's, Galaxy S22 devices, trying to convince you to go and get a new phone is going to be difficult. So this is really aimed at probably those with an S20 series of device or, where yeah. they'll say, oh, or yeah, this before. is really different. Or, oh, yeah, definitely before. If you've got one before that, it's time. It's time to upgrade. <laughs> Do it now. Um, with, that, we're open. On... <laughs> with, that, with that, we're now on to our next news story, and that's about Sky. This week, both Sky Glass and Sky Stream received some new features, including the ability for family members to each have their own playlist to store shows and films on. Other additions include simplified voice commands, so you only have to say play before a title and it will start up immediately. Plus, the Bluetooth settings have been improved somewhat. So, considering Sky has been very active with its upgrades over the last year or so, is this the future for TV technology, Chris? So, can we expect to see more integrated TVs coming in the future? I think everybody is trying to move to the position like phones where they're expecting updates to happen all the time. People are talking about it in cars now. And it always, whenever somebody says, oh, we're, we're updating this, and you, it makes you think, well, what was wrong with it in the first place? Because <laughs> with something like a TV, you would hope that when you bought it, you had the features and the performance that you needed, you know, all of access to all of the streaming services, you know, the quality and stuff like that. Hopefully all of that stuff is in place. If there are lots of incremental updates coming along, it does beg the question of 
what's missing? What's wrong? Why does this have to happen? Um, however, my my stance on it is that uh, if they can eke more out of the technology that, that you that you bought two years ago or what have you, then um, so sure, surely they should. Um, for example, the, the the good one is that, that, that one of those features, which is profiles, that, that personalized playlist is something that people have been asking for since day one, which is a, a sort of a, a way of having an individual profile on the TV. Now, Sky does it slightly differently. You don't have you don't sort of like sign into a profile immediately on switching on the television and then watch your own version of shows and your own sort of EPG. Um, instead, it's just the playlist, uh, which is the area that you send shows to be recorded into the cloud or to bookmark shows, essentially. But that's pretty good because what it ha- what happens with SkyGlass and SkyStream is that it kind of unifies that experience across all devices in your home. So if you have a SkyGlass and lots of SkyStream boxes, it's the same playlist on all of them. So traditionally, if you've got one in your room and someone's got one in their room, you would have to share the same playlist and it might be full of stuff that you don't really want to see yourself. Now this allows people to essentially split that up. And it's just something that has naturally been added to the TV. But what I do think you were mentioning, and this was an interesting one, this happened at the end of last year, which is that Sky introduced a new picture performance patch for its Skyglass TV a good year or so after the Skyglass TV launched. And it dramatically changed the picture because it was critically, it didn't go down that well with picture purists when it was first announced. Um, And it did, it improved it dramatically. And you do wonder why that wasn't done when it was first launched and what the, what the delay in that, why it took an extra year to actually do that. Um, But we'll move on anyway, because we've got another big event coming up this week. OnePlus will hold its own Cloud 11 event next week in India, where it's expected to unveil the global versions of the OnePlus 11 5G and OnePlus Buds Pro 2 earbuds. There will also likely be a OnePlus 11R, also known as the OnePlus Ace 2 in some regions, and a OnePlus Pad. We know because OnePlus itself doesn't really like to keep secrets. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that a wise strategy, Luke? Um, it's definitely an interesting one and one that we're seeing from a lot of brands like um, Vivo and I guess they're all part of the same BBK umbrella, right? These companies yeah. that are launching phones in China and then a month or two later launching them elsewhere in the world. And sometimes there are differences. I guess we'll see if there's any differences this time around. But the, the, annoying, part the, time... is when, the annoying part is when there aren't. And we, yes. and, and we sit there and watch a two-hour presentation to find out that it's exactly the same phone they launched in China in December. Yeah, exactly. However. I suppose you get two media cycles instead of one when you do it that way. But it is the same information twice. So. I mean, the di- the difference between Vivo and Oppo and OnePlus, though, Chris, is that OnePlus still has that real sort of like cult fan base there's a bit more behind it people get a bit more excited about oneplus don't they yeah they they definitely do and that i think that came from the launch strategy going back to oneplus one with the guest list and and all of that kind of stuff they really did build up a community of people who are enthusiastic and 
there seemed to be no region that got more enthusiastic than India. So India is is absolutely crazy about OnePlus, and they they have more products in the Indian market than they do in the rest of Europe. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they're actually host, hosting the launch event in India for the rest of the world. Um, I don't think OnePlus, I know, I don't think Oppo and some of the other brands have quite reached that stage, even though they outsell OnePlus by many orders of magnitude. Um, but yeah, they're definitely all, all of those brands are definitely growing. Um, and also in, in terms of Oppo, um, OnePlus essentially, an awful lot of the technology you can see probably in a OnePlus, in an Oppo device beforehand. Um, so Oppo seems to be the flagship brand for BBK, but probably not outside of China at the moment. Um, the other thing I would I would also like to add, Luke, is uh, that OnePlus also seems to be diversifying its product ranges. I mean, we're talking about a OnePlus pad. It's it's its first tablet. But also at this event, we're meant to be seeing a OnePlus keyboard, yeah. which is uh, which is quite outside its comfort zone, isn't it? Yeah, that really surprised me seeing that. Um, it looks like a very nice keyboard, but... You know, coming from OnePlus, who've never really done anything in the desktop kind of space, that's uh, yeah, certainly a new new venture for them. But we'll see how it does. I definitely like to see one in the flesh. It looks cool in the pictures, so why not? I guess you will. You will next week. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, that's it for the news. <clears throat> We've got some great interviews coming up for future PocketLint podcasts, but for now, we'll turn our attention to specific products we've seen or played with over the last week or so for review or preview. It's a new section we like to call the PocketLint Product of the Week, although each of the guests this episode will get to choose something different. So, without further ado, what's the PocketLint Product of the Week this week? That'll never get old. Right, let's start with Chris this week. What's your products of the week and why? This week, I am going to talk about the Apple Mac Mini, having <laughs> bailed out of talking about it last week. Um, the interesting thing about Mac Mini, and I've been a Mac Mini user for a long time, is that it's often been the cheapest way to get Mac OS, been the cheapest way to dive into the Apple ecosystem. And the real big change that we've seen over the last couple of years is people realizing that they are spending more time at home working. And I know lots of people will say that docking a laptop is brilliant and working on a 13-inch screen on a tiny bendy keyboard is brilliant, but nothing, nothing beats working at a desk with a desktop system with monitors that are massive and proper accessories and everything else. Um and I'll argue about this with anybody if you want to come <laughs> along and argue about it. So being able to get into that system with the M2 Mac Mini is great because, I mean, it works best with Apple's own products. And I hooked it up to the the glorious studio display and used the, the magic accessories, et cetera, et cetera. But then I disconnected it all and reset it all and then started again with everything that I normally have connected to my PC. And... You know, the lack of the Apple key to be able to to use some of the shortcuts on the keyboard so simply didn't really cause a problem. Occasionally, there'll be a hiccup where if I 
I have a Corsair gaming mouse, a wired gaming mouse, for example, and you plug that in, it's immediately identified as a keyboard and <laughs> asks you to uh, identify the type of keyboard. You, you can just close that screen down because it's not a keyboard, but it but it works. And that means that you can go out and you can spend the least amount of money that you can on an Apple Mac and you can be using Mac OS at home. And the Mac Mini is plenty powerful. It's it runs virtually completely silently. It does have a fan in it, so it it could cool itself down if you pu- pushed it towards doing something that made it get hot. But compared to a PC which is loaded up with fans all over the place, more fans the better. Um, the the Mac Mini runs exceptionally quietly. Um, so so yeah, it it is it's really great from that point of view, especially at that lower price. If you're just doing basic computing tasks and you want something for home then I can't recommend it enough. The only word of caution, though, is that every upgrade beyond that starts to get quite expensive. So if you want to put in, it starts at eight gigabytes of RAM. If you want to double that, it's £200 or $200. Um, if you want to increase the storage, it's £200, $200. And that's a lot more than buying those components would cost you. And in the olden days, the Mac Mini was great because you could take off the bottom and make those upgrades yourself. But that's no longer an option and that's kind of a shame because playing with computers is one of the fun things about having them it can now drive uh, two separate monitors can't it which couldn't be done before yeah so on the entry level version you can run two separate monitors um you need to check the specifications of what it will support through which of its connections if you have specific requirements um but for most people who just want to run a typical monitor up to sort of 4k um that's not going to be too much of a problem. I hooked up one through uh, through the USB-C or Thunderbolt 4 port on the back and one through HDMI. There's no problem at all. Oh, excellent. Um, and my final question is, is that you, actually, I think you might have answered it, is the resolution. What's the maximum resolution it can output? Uh, I believe it will support 8K in some Really? In some, in some configurations, yeah. I could be completely wrong. It had no problem with the 5K uh, studio uh, display that was hooked up to it because i've got I, I currently use a 2015 imac um five with the uh 5k retina screen and i i mean it, it is starting to creak at the edges and i was looking to upgrade and i was hoping that they would do a 27 inch imac again which they decided they were never going to do again or at least that's what they told us um so i've been looking for an upgrade and maybe the mac mini is the way to go but then you have to thought, think about the the monitor, and that certainly the Apple options are very expensive. They are, and there are some great there are some great alternatives out there that you could use. The um, there is a, a USB C or Thunderbolt LG monitor that's really really popular, uh, and that would work perfectly. I think it's twenty seven inches. Might be bigger. Brilliant. So, Luke, what's your product of the week? So this week I reviewed the Polk Magnify Mini AX, which is a soundbar, but it's not very bar-shaped. It's kind of a small pill shape, more like a, a Bluetooth speaker, uh, but it does have a pretty hefty wireless subwoofer with it. So the system as a whole is not very small, but the actual bar bit is very small. Um, and it's pretty impressive. It's got a much wider soundscape than you'd think from something that's very petite 
and um, the subwoofer delivers some amazing bass. And um, yeah, I think if you're looking for a small compact soundbar, it's one of the better options. It's about 400 pounds, so it's around the price of the Sonos Beam, but you get a sub as well. So I think for for movies especially, I thought it sounded amazing. Um, for music, it didn't really hit the spot for me. Um, it's hard to put your finger exactly what was missing, but there was some like, I don't know, some clarity missing, I think, from for music. But when it came to movie dialogue and impact from the rumbles of like explosions in films and spaceships flying overhead, it did an amazing job. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. Um, the one thing that I did want to know about it, I read your review, is um, it's so such a small device, essentially, such a small speaker. Um, is it? Would it work in a living room sort of scenario? Yeah, so I I tested it in my living room, and it's not the largest living room, but I was expecting because of the size of it it to be like a have a narrow sweet spot where it actually gives you that surround effect but surprisingly it does an amazing job of just firing in all directions and there's quite a lot of height to the sound stage as well um it does support atmos but it's not like full fat atmos it doesn't sound like it's coming from above you but there is definitely more height than you'd expect especially from such a little speaker Excellent. So just say the name of it one more time for people that... It's the Polk Magnify Mini AX. Right. Brilliant. Um, we're running out of time, but my very quick addition to the Pocket Limp product of the week is WWE 2K23, which I had the pleasure to go hands-on with an early work-in-progress build if this week. Um, it's the latest game in the WWE franchise coming, around, coming out around WrestleMania time in March. And uh, I really liked it. I mean, I'm a big WWE fan anyway, and if you're not, you'll never like it. So it's essentially catering for a captive audience. Um, the one good thing I thought about it is that um, they improved the game series dramatically last year and added loads of excellent new gameplay features. This year, they they make that sort of, look better essentially they the character models each superstar wwe superstars looks fantastic this year moves brilliantly and the best thing about it is probably they tweak the animation engine and that essentially means that the gameplay is better because the animation sort of moves more smoothly between between move sets so when you pull off a certain move and then transition to another move that's a slightly quicker experience and it just feels much more intuitive um but it's stunning to look at. Of course, I've only played a very early preview build um, with just a few little game modes. So, you know, it between now and now and uh, when it comes out, there could be more to talk about. There could be less. Um, but for now, yeah, it was pretty cool. So the question I have about that, Rick, before you, f- you conclude, can you actually smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I couldn't smell what the rock was cooking, unfortunately. It's probably a good um, thing. But uh, yeah, it's um, I'm very I'm speechless. I was trying to think of another catchphrase to throw back at you, and I couldn't <laughs> think of a single one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 
That's it for this episode of the PocketLint podcast. Please join us again next time and also visit pocketlint.com for all the tech and games news, reviews, buyers guides and roundups from the entire team. Plus, you can also sign up to our daily newsletter, which will deliver current stories and more to your email inbox each weekday. Until then, please give us your feedback on the PocketLint socials or podcast platform of your choice. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Cheers. I've been Rick Henderson. Catch you all later. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.